0: What's up, Spell Singers? My name is Gary and John Wells. I'm Drew Footen. And I'm Corey Janabagan. And this is Untap Upkeep Drink. Beer up.
1: Welcome back, guys. We're back with another episode of Untap Upkeep Drink. And this time we're diving deep into Commander 18. Yeah, that's right.
2: They brought back the Planeswalker Commanders. Sorry, they brought back Planeswalkers as Commanders. Got to be a little more specific on that.
1: Yeah, so this set was notable mostly because of that, because they went back to the Planeswalkers, which people didn't think they were going to do. But this time, instead of being monocolored, they're all multicolored Commanders.
2: And one is inferior, as it has one less color.
0: Yeah. All right. So before we start here, obviously, we are doing this from a socially appropriate distance during COVID 19, which means it's extra important. Yeah. Which means it's extra important that you guys uh, hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. Obviously, we're doing everything via the internet these days. So uh, any like, comment, uh, share is appreciated. And we just love talking to the community. You know, this is like our one way to get a community together. So hit us up and we'll uh, we'll have a bit of a discourse as it were remember to wash your
1: hands and wash your ass
2: which order do they do that in
1: though Um, go ass no go hands ass hands okay
2: correct I'm glad that you you went back to the hands again (laughs) hands
1: ass done (laughs) yeah so just like the other episodes we're gonna be going through all the different commanders alternate commanders talk about all the different cycles we have we're gonna deep dive into planeswalkers and how we feel about them and then we're gonna have some notable reprints notable new cards some cards that maybe shouldn't have been reprinted or cards that you should definitely pick up as singles and then we're just going to rate this whole set and see yeah, if we
2: like and it or not. we're not going to like go super in depth on all of the cards there's some cards that we think are more important to talk about obviously like the commanders and alternate commanders things like that but for the majority of the cards we're going to kind of do just a brief description like we did on the previous episode just so that way we don't take up two hours of your time
1: yeah
0: Although we could talk. Yeah, especially. And talk and talk. Yeah, I mean, I if know, you guys want us to, stay, like, older. we could
2: definitely do, like, four hour episodes for you. Like, if you're looking yeah. to kill time just listening to us talk, we got you.
0: <laughs> Listen to us bitch about commander sets, that live up to the <laughs> All
2: right. So, I guess before we get into that, let's just quickly go over what beers everyone is drinking. So, I set you guys both up with some pretty, pretty decent ones. And Corey has assured me that the one that I have is decent as well. Uh, Why don't you go ahead and give a uh, quick glance over what you're drinking.
0: Okay, so I'm drinking the Cigar City Brewing Maduro Brown Ale. It sits at 5.5% ABV and 25 IBUs, and you guys are going to love the one-handed pour. It was hella good. Oh, yeah. First time I've had to pour the beers for this show, so
2: (laughs) be forewarned. I think
0: that's like— I I had to film and pour, so it was a little little weird.
2: Yeah, because literally every single other time— it's Corey and me doing it. So. All right, first taste, what you got?
0: Preliminary taste, it's very nutty, like you would expect from a brown ale. It's got some, some wheat malt kind of characteristics, more malty, I think. Uh, to me, it's got like that dry almond kind of flavor, and I'm, I'm digging it. It's got a, a healthy little head. All right, Corey. I'm drinking the Melvin Brewing Mind Bloom. It's part
1: of their experimental series, and it's an IPA.
0: And what a fucking can.
1: The can is awesome. Super yeah. dope. You should look up. I don't know. I, I assume we're going to have an image of it. But it's yeah, 10. Uh, hopefully, there. Gary did a pour of that as well. Uh, I did. They're 7%, and for some weird reason, they didn't list IBUs, even though it's an IPA.
2: Because it's a hazy. Like oh, It's hard no to sense. get IBUs on those.
0: So There's I, got, I got it action. in my
1: stein right here. The head is fucking dope as hell.
0: Dude,
1: it smells yeah. so
0: good. <laughs> you look like a goddamn uh, uh, Viking or some shit just <laughs> grabbing it. I need Drew's hair for that. Seriously. I think Drew was a pirate in a past life. 100%. So right away, you get
1: a lot of just citrus notes that you'd expect in a hazy, and it's super bitter. Like The hops come through a ton. But it's not like an overpowering bitter. It's just sort of that lingering bitter. It's really good. It's really refreshing. Just what I needed right now.
2: And last and maybe least, I I don't know if we're going to evaluate that.
1: This is a a curveball on what we usually drink.
2: Yeah, we've got the Samuel Adams Cold Snap White Ale. So originally, I wanted to have us be doing Wasatch's Winter Ale. uh, But turns out that the availability on that one uh, is few and far between this time of year. But... You know, we make do with what works, and uh, I guess throw out the shout-out now to my brother, Travis. We've had him on the show before. He's actually the one that provided the cold snaps and the Melvin Mind Blooms. So, thank you, Trav. Um,
0: Travis, you're the man? Yeah, he courts just as much as was, we do.
2: <laughs> yeah, but he moved to a place that doesn't allow him to have alcohol, so he had to get rid of it. And I said, well, we're <laughs> have to be three <laughs> of those and three of those, so let's go. I know some people. I guys. know some people who <laughs> like some alcohol. Okay, cold Snap, better than I thought it was gonna be. Um, it is a white ale, so it's a lot lighter. Uh, primarily a malt flavor that you get off of it, light bitterness at the end. Uh, we'll kind of go into more flavors later on, but uh, we wanna make sure that you guys, if you are drinking along with us, especially you know now of all times in <laughs> the world of corona, that uh, you're being responsible, being safe, don't drink and drive, don't drink if you're underage. Um, you know, stay at home and enjoy a nice cold one.
0: All right, so let's dive into these goddamn decks. Uh, <clears throat> they're special because they've got some planeswalkers at the forefront, but there's another set that had that as well. So let's talk about 2014 real quick and figure out why this is different.
2: Well, first, we had five monocolor decks in 2014. Um, and that was really pretty solid because while it was like a mixed bag as far as what the decks had in them, because they were centralized on a color it all kind of worked together because I mean that's just the way the game's been designed for the past 25 years.
0: So these these decks hummed a little better than some just because of the innate synergies. But they also had planeswalker commanders, Corey.
2: How well did that work? 2014. We kind of talked about it uh, in our episode.
1: So when these decks came out, planeswalkers, everyone loved them and they couldn't get enough of them and they always wanted them as their commanders. And so WotC printed these. So we got to mess with around with them and use them for a while. And I think we go into this a lot further on the C14 episode, but they just kind of slow the game down. Like they add new mechanics and they're really good, but they have their own problems that they bring to the table. And <clears throat> with this set, I think they, while they opened it up for the color pairings and stuff like that, they didn't exactly solve those problems.
2: Yeah, I definitely would agree with that. Um, and kind of just out of curiosity, aside from you know the uh, the elephant in the room, would you say that those decks and those commanders are still relevant to the modern game?
1: I think Teferi... Yeah, that's the elephant in the room, right? C-14? Or it's yeah. C18? <laughs> Commander 2014. I think Teferi is still really good because they made him stupid good, and... Uh, Frey Elise, I've seen a lot of people play Frey Elise. Just, it's just mono green ramp.
2: Yeah, I think that this that deck is just fun,
1: right? Yeah, because like, yeah, it's just big stuff. And then I Duretti comes up every once in a while, but he's usually in the 99. But I've never seen anybody play Nahiri or <laughs> Obnixilis.
2: Yeah, I don't know if I have either.
0: I think the nature of them being slow and not fun to play against and limiting you to one color just kind of limits them in their. Not necessarily playability, but the the want to play them. Like you said, Duretti, it's he's a great card, but you want to slot him into a two or three color deck instead of just a red deck.
2: Yeah, he definitely works <laughs> as far as like playing him as the commander. I think more so than what yeah. Nahiri does, because Nahiri just feels so limited in comparison to everyone else. Like Duretti is just you know general artifact good stuff, and to that effect, we actually have artifact good stuff as our first deck from 2018.
1: Nice. Yeah, so this one was the blue red is it artifact deck exquisite invention? And this was piloted by Sahili the Gifted. Ooh, everybody loves Sahili. Sahili is a fan favorite for sure. She's infamous because of the cat combo. Everyone Sahe- loves the
2: copycat combo.
1: She's a two blue and a red for a four loyalty counter legendary planeswalker Sahili. She's got a plus one create a one one colorless servo artifact creature token. She's got another plus one. The next spell you cast this turn costs one less to cast for each artifact you control as you cast it. And then she's got a minus seven for each artifact you control. Create a token that's a copy of it. Those tokens gain haste. Exile those tokens at the beginning of the next end step. And then all of oh, these, shit. just like the old Planeswalk commanders have this line of text, this, whatever the card name, can be your commander.
2: Yeah, so Sahili. Has a lot going on there. Uh, Servo token generation. Token uh, is a theme in the deck in general. Obviously, if we're talking about uh, the deck, it is artifact tokens and ways to manipulate uh, incremental advantage using those artifacts in one way or another. Not quite like the Brea deck was in 2016, but more of a, let's say, loose aggro strategy and then just like massive artifact value.
1: Yeah, you can start cheating out giant... Giant artifacts with her plus one with her, with her second plus one because I don't know why they made, gave her two plus ones <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah uh, something that we see time and time again is that having that second plus ability just makes them so much harder to get rid of but yeah. uh, also kind of looking at the next deck which is subjective reality which is the Esper white, blue, black it's the top deck matters and kind of blink and leading that one we have Amonatu the Fate Shifter
0: some so intense playing. art love yeah. this art so she's 18, white
2: blue black for legendary planeswalker Amanatu, three loyalty uh, when she comes in plus one draw a card then put a card from your hand on top of your library minus one exile another target permanent you own then return it to the battlefield under your control and minus six choose left or right each player gains control of all non-land permanents other than to the fate shifter controlled by the next player in the chosen direction and of course she can be your commander so What is the big issue uh, with Ammonot here? I don't know if you guys realize that just straight off the gate. Something that we've seen recently with Bannings. Three mana Planeswalkers that start at three loyalty are fucking miserable to deal with.
1: I didn't know that that was where you were going. Yeah. Right away, she's easily the most interesting commander, and she's also easily the most unfocused out of all the other commanders in the whole set. Yeah. Yeah, she definitely has...
2: Many things that she can do, but I would argue just you know at the at the beginning here that she's the most powerful of them.
1: Yeah, because like each of her abilities can take your whole deck in a whole different thing. Like you can either do top deck matters, blinking stuff, or the minus six, which really is just a pain in the ass and I don't know why they made (laughs) an effect like that. (laughs) Uh
2: because of her minus one you can give other people your shit and then you just minus 1 and it returns it under your control for permanents right. you own not permanents you control so you get to you get the advantage from her ultimate
1: okay i see that i guess yeah. as long i've never as you seen, tick her
0: up enough to keep her around
1: yeah, I've, yeah and every I'm not too, i have played with never used the minus 6 even when they're at like 10 12 counters like they just don't yeah it's care it's not worth
2: it. yeah it's not worth it cuz all of her other shit is just super good uh, what about the next deck
0: We've got Nature's Vengeance, headed up by Lord Windgrace. He's two black-red-green for a five-loyalty legendary planeswalker, Windgrace. His plus two is discard a card, then draw a card. If a land card is discarded this way, draw an additional card. Minus three, return up to two target land cards from your graveyard to the battlefield. And minus 11, destroy up to six target non-land permanents, then create six 2-2 green cat warrior creature tokens with Forest Walk. He was one of the uh, the first, like, really apparent lands matter cards. Yeah, I think he's the first jund one, which kind of brought all the yeah.
1: land matter cards together. Even if Lord Wingrace isn't the best lands matter commander, commander yeah, it, it the best, gives you huh? the shell to to
0: play in. Yeah, you want to do your story time?
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, so just like a little backstory on Lord Wingrace. He was one of the original nine titans that are recruited for the war against the Phyrexians, so the Nine Titans also included. Like Frey Elise, uh I think Teferi was among them. Like these big, bad motherfuckers from old school. And like Planeswalkers, the old school Planeswalkers, were basically like these immortal demigods that could do whatever the fuck they wanted. They had just like mass amounts of power. Um, and if you like know about the Gatewatch saga, the whole reason why Liliana's doing the shit that she's doing is because she wants to maintain the power level that the old Planeswalkers had. So like when they fixed all of the timers and all of the jank that happened on Dominaria, planeswalkers kind of lost the power that they used to have. And Lord Wind Grace was one of the like one of the big bads. Like he was a, he was a bad motherfucker. Samuel Jackson would love to play him in a <laughs> m- magic movie, I think.
0: This next one seems like a uh, like a Drew deck. Yeah, Drew, yeah you want to yeah. read this one?
2: Sure. <laughs> so we've got Estrid the Mast. So funnily enough, uh, of all of the commanders in the deck for the adaptive enchantments, which is the Bant enchantments, um, blue, white, and green. She's one I've played least, um, just because she's annoying. So because she's bald, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it's because she's
0: bald, folks. You don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly.
2: She's the planeswalker. Uh, so one in Bant, for the legendary planeswalker, comes in with three loyalty, plus two. Untap each enchanted permanent you control. Minus one. Okay. Create a white aura enchantment token named Mask attached to another target permanent token has enchant permanent and totem armor and minus seven put the top seven cards of your library into your graveyard return all non-aura enchantment cards from your graveyard to the battlefield then do the same for aura cards and of course she can be your commander so very very powerful abilities Um, having the ability to untap each enchanted permanent you control is insane when she is actually dumping out auras to enchant your permanents like that's ludicrous when you look at it, because they can literally enchant lands, giving you the ramp. It can enchant artifacts. What, whatever you want, whatever you need, she's got you. And yeah. then her minus
1: seven. And then uh, her, her minus seven is just a, a flood the board, you're probably going to lose soon kind of ability. <laughs> yeah. like I think she's
2: the one of
1: these that you
2: are actually working towards the ult with. Yeah. I don't think the other ones you really care that much like Sahili, kind of but not really still but Astrid is 100% like I want to use the old if I'm if I'm playing her. Or...
1: Yeah, I think it's cuz usually with effects like these it's if you put the top 7 cards you only get those 7 cards or what yeah, but, this is but it, you can load your graveyard up and then just get everything back.
2: Yeah, what's nice about Astrid is that one of the things that enchantments is weak to is enchantment board wipes. Um, I've talked about it time and time again how I hate Certain cards because they just absolutely hose your enchantment strategies. Estrid has a built-in way to recover from that, and that's gross, honestly.
1: Yeah, and just like cheat him into play, like whew, yeah, spicy. All right, let's look at some alternative
2: commanders here um, for the alternate artificers. First one is Brutoclad Telcor Engineer.
1: This one is for a blue and a red for a four-four legendary artifact creature artificer. Creature tokens you control have haste. Yeah. At the beginning of combat on your turn, create a two-one Bloomer artifact creature token. Then you may choose a token you control. If you do, each other token you control becomes a copy of that token. So it's obviously only cares about tokens, but interestingly, it only says it like what four enough, times. It doesn't necessarily care about creature tokens. It just says True. choose a token you control. So there's a lot of copy effects in red, and blue, so you can abuse the hell out of this. And he's just a really, really fun commander to build around, because you want to be artifact central, but there's a lot of cards that make things into artifacts, and so you just have to jump through a couple hoops, but you can get some stupid, stupid board states with this guy. Yeah,
2: it's the only downside on Blood, honestly, is the fact that it costs Six mana. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's so hard out. to use Glad as your commander because you're just not getting the value that you need to, you know, maintain a board state early on.
0: Yeah, the next one we've got is Thanos, Urza's Apprentice, and we've got some CMC. I'm a fan of. It's blue and a red for a one-three legendary creature, Human Artificer with haste. For a blue and a red and a tap, copy, target activated or triggered ability you control from an artifact source. You may choose new targets for the copy. Wow. Uh, yeah, this one's, uh, I think, specifically for what we were just talking about with Bru I think this one is so much better because it comes down so early and starts doubling your activations. Uh, that's a really good build.
2: Yeah. I uh, kind of just, like, wrote a note on this one, it's just like, uh, after all, what's better than, one, activation of your artifacts? Two. But if you work in some untapped tomfoolery, you've got an engine. So long as you can make enough mana to support it. But where would you yeah. get so much mana in a blue-red artifact
1: deck? I don't know. Those just aren't very good colors, especially not yeah, to you... tutor up your dramatic reversal scepter combo and then activate it twice every turn. Twice? <laughs> You're thinking small, my friend. <laughs> I mean, you, like, you, realistically, you only need to do it like maybe once. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, as soon as you get the combo, but it's just Tano's.
2: Like the fact that you still have access to blue and red is just ludicrous, honestly. Like the untap is just the the start, honestly.
1: Yeah, he's like he's a very very powerful commander, but he's sort of limited because he can only target artifacts, so that hampers him a lot because he's he's not Rings of Brighthearth or Stronic Resonator. Thank God. But because- what if? If they were, if, if he was make, on that level, then he would—he'd be too good.
2: Yeah, but what if you could make copies of your good stuff and turn them into artifacts? Then you—you'd you'd be chilling. <laughs> yeah. So the next one we have is the Esper deck. Uh, first one on our list here is Verena, Lich Queen. So, kind of an interesting route that they went in this deck with Verina. Uh, so it's one and Esper for a four-four legendary creature, Zombie Wizards. Whenever you attack with one or more zombies, draw that many cards, then discard that many cards. You gain that much life. Activate ability 2 and exile 2 cards from your graveyard. Create a tapped 2-2 black zombie creature token. So, does not fit at all on any, any level with any of the shit that Amanati wants to do. No. <laughs> um, just a fucking whirlwind of a card as far as abilities. Um, this one is kind of like, the first time I read it, I was just like, Ah, oh, yes, Esper Zombies. Everyone wanted that, right? Start the auction at one. Done once. Done twice. Hey, we have tokens too. Anyone want to bid on the tokens? Tokens? No? We have different decks that do that shit already. Great. And you're going to exile my graveyard. And Zombies is a deck that cares very much about its graveyard. Like, it's recursive and it is a creature strategy usually. So, exiling that. Just, I don't know. It just seems like it's very counterintuitive to what most zombies want to be doing. Obviously, it has a lot of potential just to like spit out a bunch of zombies, attack, draw a shitload of cards, turn through your deck as fast as you possibly can. It, that can be scary in the right hands. But realistically speaking, I feel like she's underwhelming on all fronts.
1: I think yeah. I've, I've never seen anyone make a Rumina deck, so I don't know really how they play. It. I just think that the most interesting thing about her is usually with these effects, especially in zombie decks, you lose life. For each attacking creature or drawing cards or discarding stuff like that, but she actually True. lets you gain the life. So I always thought that yeah. was really cool. But yeah, I think the ability of exiling stuff from your graveyard is the exact opposite thing of what you want to do.
2: Yeah. But yeah, you're in a zombies deck. The whole point of zombies is to bring shit back from the graveyard yeah. over and over again, get that recursive value, and she just starts throwing it away. And yeah, you know, like you're not getting like sorceries instance and shit usually, yeah. but why would you throw I was that say, resource maybe away? Maybe
0: because it's Esper. They're expecting you to have more sorceries in instance, but then it just kind of goes against. But what she you cares really about want to be doing combat there. and shit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking about caring about combat, we've got Yannette, Cryptic Sovereign. This is a
1: cool one. So she's two and Esper for a three-five legendary creature, Sphinx with flying, vigilance, menace. And then whenever yenet Cryptic Sovereign attacks, reveal a top card of your library. If that card's convenient mana cost is odd, you may cast it without paying its mana cost. Otherwise, draw a card.
0: Damn. So
1: she's just odd tribal. It's super cool, super flavorful. She's a very, very powerful deck because a lot of the extra turn spells and nasty things are odd.
2: Yeah, costed. I just made like a quick list of things that I could think of that were odd. Children, L.S. Norton, Emrakul, blatant thievery, Nexus of Fate, Mind's dilation, expropriate, rise of the dark realms, Blight, Steel, Colossus, and Karn, the OG Planeswalker Karn.
1: I think and soaring, <laughs> soaring. Of course, I think uh, <laughs> just... another notable one that cares about odd tribal is Void Winnower. Yeah, which oh, means yeah. you can't. Your opponents can't even cast even spells, and it just sort of locks half of their deck out. Yeah,
2: yeah. That one I I looked at, and I was just like. I forgot that that one was odd because it cares about even stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah, she's she's a really cool commander. She's kind of, I don't know, there's not really a whole lot of interesting ways to build her because it is just, I'm going to just get to get the best spells that have odd casting costs and then cheat them out.
2: Yeah, like you don't, it, it's really hard to build the deck too because you, you want to go for these like ridiculously expensive yeah. odd cards. And so like if you get them in your hand, you're like, well, shit, I need a way to put them back in my library.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: All right. Uh, next deck we have is the lands deck. First card here. Gary, you want to throw that one down for us?
0: Yeah, we've got Gyrus Waker of Corpses. It's X black, red, green for a 0-0 zero, zero legendary creature hydra. Uh, Gyrus Waker of Corpses enters the battlefield with a number of plus one, plus one counters on it equal to the amount of mana spent to cast it. Whenever Gyrus attacks, you may exile target creature card with lesser power from your graveyard. If you do, create a token that's a copy of that card and that's tapped and attacking. Exile the token at the end of combat. Uh, First up, I like that uh, his plus one, plus one counters are equal to the CMC. So this scales not only with your X like a lot of X spells would, but also with the Jund mana you have to play on it. And commander tax, yeah, so you're always yeah. going to get yeah, some good value. That's cool.
2: Jairus, Jairus, however his name is, uh, is arguably one of the best commanders when it comes to like having to replay it. Um, I also think it's fantastic that this is one of the most jund commanders. And like, oh, yeah. what I mean by that is that like, uh, it cares about ramp, big power. You got your green, you got your Drive manipulation, you've got tokens, combat, like all of these things that are like green, black, red. Spaced. just thrown in together. It's a very
0: very well-built commander. I think that it's... It, c- it. it kind of feels a little bit like geared to me. We'll From, uh, just attacking and making stuff. <laughs> yeah, like, just tokens. pumping out yeah. new fatties and stuff. That's cool.
1: My biggest Next problem one. with him is that he exiles whatever you want to make a copy of, yeah. and so you only yeah. get to use it once. And in yeah, commander... It's like you better make it count. Like, getting... Using a card twice is really good, but I think his... Like abusability goes down a lot unless you're just loading your graveyard up, and he can only you can basically only do it once a turn, so he just seems right. really
2: really slow. But, yeah, there's some pretty obvious ways to upgrade the deck, which I think Corey yeah. can talk about later. Uh, instead, right now I'd like you to talk about Thantus the War Weaver.
0: So um, least favorite commander spider.
1: Yeah, so I think everyone shits on this <laughs> spider a lot, but I actually really like it just because of one line of text but thank oh, know we which we one <laughs> is three in jund for a 5/5 legendary creature spider with vigilance and reach that's not the line no, this it's this one when uh, <laughs> or all creatures attack each combat if able yeah. and then whenever yeah. a creature attacks you or a planeswalker you control put a plus one plus one counter on Thantis the Warweaver
2: which is just a throwaway ability in my opinion but yeah, Thantis blocks all day every day with vigilance and reach so, yeah, not she, too bad.
1: she's the ultimate blocker, and then she just gets the whole board moving. And people just don't want to attack you. So, she's kind of pillow 40 because they'll swing into just a, a bigger and bigger Thantis. But I think she's a really cool Jund, like aggro commander. I think she's a giant, giant disappointment as a legendary spider because. Yeah, people yeah. wanted spider tribal, and they've been trying to make spider tribal, but this is not spider tribal in any way shape or form. This is just combat tribal,
0: really. Yeah, she feels very like uh, rhino or ogre, like mythos kind of thing, like where it's just like let's attack, let's yeah, just, shit up or minotaur. Yeah,
1: yeah. She, I think she'd be a really good minotaur commander, even though she doesn't help minotaurs. But it'd be, I, I think, it'd say be it. more in flavor than a spider. Yeah.
0: So our last deck is the bant deck. What are our alternate commanders there?
1: Uh, first one we have is
2: Kestia the Cultivator. Um, I really like the, the design on this card. Yeah. Um, so for one in Bant, she's a 4-4 four, four legendary enchantment creature, Nymph. She has Bestow for three in Bant. Um, and if you don't know what Bestow is, it's if you cast this card for its bestow cost, it's an aura spell with enchant creature. It becomes a creature, again, if it's not attached to creature. Enchant creature gets plus four, plus four if you cast it for its bestow cost. And whenever an enchanted creature or enchantment creature you control attacks, draw a card. Attack triggers are super, super easy to farm, especially in a deck like this, where it cares about enchanted creatures, which Astrid is going to put enchantments on things anyways. Um, and then it cares about enchantment creatures, which a lot of the creatures that you're going to be wanting to put in this deck anyways are already going to be enchantment creatures. Um, the next one is Tufasa, Sunlit, in my opinion the better of the commanders for this deck. And it is just green, white, blue, just ban. For a 1-1 one, one legendary creature, Merfolk Shaman, Tuas the Sunlit gets plus one, plus one for each enchantment you control. And whenever you cast your first enchantment spell each turn, draw a card. Yes. Uh, spoilers, you play enchantments in this deck. Uh, getting that first trigger is super, super easy, which means that you're basically drawing two cards every single turn. That in and of itself is very powerful. Um. When it comes to this the obvious is just you know Enchantress it's like you like enchantments drawing cards let's just throw it all together Um, you also like Voltron ideas great you just suit up Tuvasa or anyone else and Tuvasa is going to get bigger as well
1: yeah I think it's really interesting because you can go in the Voltron route or you can literally just not play Voltron or auras or anything and she'll still get bigger and you'll still keep drawing cards so, like, I think right away people are like, oh, she's just the Voltron commander. But I th- actually think that Kestia would be the more Voltron because she can bestow stuff and stuff like that. While Tuvasa is just, like, ban enchantment good stuff. Like, you're always getting value, always drawing cards, always getting big creatures.
2: Yeah. See, I would disagree that Kestia is the better Voltron commander because Kestia really wants you to go wide to get as much card draw as you can off of the attack triggers. Because it cares more about individual creatures attacking rather than one enchanted creature oh, attacking. Oh, I,
1: th- I thought it was just when one. No, creature it's
2: attacks. whenever a enchanted or oh, yeah, enchantment creature. Yeah, that makes yeah, a lot more that's sense. That's why Castia is really easy to just farm card draw off of. Yeah, that's pretty. Castia's pretty pretty solid.
0: The next thing we're going to talk about after these uh, alternate commanders is the cycles from these decks, and the first cycle we've got are the Planeswalker named. Cycle. So we've got Sahili's Directive, Amanatu's Augury, Windgrace's Judgment, and Estrid's Invocation. So these are almost like uh, extra spells that your Planeswalkers casting.
2: Yeah. Uh, what's funny is that I think Sahili's Directive
1: is just the worst of them by far. If I'm remembering correctly. So Sahili's Directive is X red, red, red for a sorcery with improvised. So you can each artifact you tapped after you're done activating mana abilities pays for one generic mana. Reveal the top X cards of your library. You may put any number of artifact cards with covering mana cost X or less from among them onto the battlefield. Then put all cards revealed this way that weren't put onto the battlefield into your graveyard. So it's it gets better and better the more mana you put into it, but it's really really hard because unless you're improvising a lot, which I think you have to, paying yeah. like four mana or something into this won't get you anything. Well, you have to put like Do 10 shit. mana minimum to even churn through your Especially deck. Especially
0: since like the big build around for this deck is to use a bunch of shitty little thopter tokens or, you know, different artifact creature tokens in order to, you to ramp you into, you into right? bigger yeah. artifact creatures. And so the chances of you, if you're not able to pull a high X value from this, the chances of you drawing two or three cards and then being decently big are kind of high. You might run into some big fat Eldrazi or something like that and just not get anything. Yeah, and then
1: you could run into just dead cards. So uh, I, next I, one I have is, it. it's the
0: worst one.
2: Yeah, next one we have is Amanatu's Augury. And this one, the, the potential is real on this one. Gary, why do go ahead?
0: So we've got six blue blue for a sorcery. Exile the top eight cards of your library. You may put a land card from among them onto the battlefield. Until end of turn, for each non-land card type, you may cast a card of that type from among the exiled cards without paying its mana cost.
1: Now this is what So it's a
0: high about. cost. You got eight mana, but uh, the potential upside is... Ridiculous there.
2: Like, I'm not sure Auger is... I mean, it is it is very reminiscent of, like, Mizzix's mastery to me. Yeah. Like, that high cost that you're putting in up front for just an absolute beating on the back end once everything you know resolves for it
1: yeah because it's plus the artwork's done it's until end of turn that more said mckinnon man but i yeah. think because this gets you eight potential cards for eight mana while if you just look at sahili's directive in order to get eight man or eight cards you potentially need 11, 11 mana, right? mana yeah or i mean improvise right helps you a yeah bit, improvise but. is the only redeeming thing on sahili's directive I've seen Augury yeah. just destroy whole games, while I've never seen De- Sahili's directive even go off. Like I, the thing is, is that like with Sahili's
2: directive, you're investing a lot of like kind of small artifacts that are more for like progressing your game state individually, like mana rocks and stuff like that. That you hit those, and you're like, "Yay, I have more mana now!"
1: Yeah. Yeah, I've seen Aminato's Agri in a Golos deck is one of the most disgusting Oof. things I've ever seen because you're Oof. already cheating <laughs> big mana costs. It's it's, it's Oof. no fun. <laughs> That's Yeah,
2: that one's kind of sane. Um Next we have is Wind Grace's Judgment. Uh, this, card is, this card is very, very good. So for three, mm-hmm. black, green for an instant. An instant for any number of opponents to destroy target non-land permanent that player controls.
1: Yeah, I think if you just look at this as three Beast Withins, which would be nine mana, this is only five mana. And you can destroy three of the biggest threats. I think it's a very, very fair card, and a lot more people should be playing it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, It used to be expensive shit, but it's come down a lot. Yeah, this is
1: one of the the chase cards in C18, which I guess goes to show you how this this set was. (laughs) Which, I mean,
2: yeah but this card, this card is very good um, I think that it it works exactly how you want it literally every single time whereas there's other cards whether it's wrath or uh, like Beast within effects that you have to be very uh, a lot more selective with what you're able to destroy and so as soon as you see non-land permanent right, you just open the gate and you say pew 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 that's it.
1: Yeah this will save your ass a
2: lot of times. Corey you and I have talked about the next one a fair bit When it first came out, this is like one of the ones that you and I were talking about.
1: Yeah, this card... Because
2: of just like the... (laughs) I
1: I think this card is a really, really, really powerful card. It's, It's Estrid's Invocation. It's two and a blue for an enchantment. You may have Estrid's Invocation enter the battlefield as a copy of any enchantment you control. Except it gains, at the beginning of your upkeep, you may exile this enchantment. If you do, return it to the battlefield under its owner's control. So you basically get two for one on your best enchantment.
2: For three mana
1: For three mana And it can change Like a lot of these cards When they come in They're just stuck they, Like whatever you. Yeah they made copy them, the one thing And the, that's just it They're the best thing That you have at that moment While this can scale Every turn If you play another thing You can get two of them Yeah it's the best thing That you have Always Just imagine You have a doubling season out And you have this out And now you have Two doubling yeah. seasons out Or you had like I don't know uh,
2: What is the Not high market Black market yeah, there we go. Now imagine you have Black Market, you copy it, and then a couple turns later you play Doubling Season. You're like, well, Black Market, you're doing great, and I got the counters on it and everything like that. I invested the resources. Now I want that Doubling Season. So now you got two Doubling Season.
1: Yeah, the I think just the versatility of this card is insane, especially because it's only three mana. So it comes down early, gets it already gets the ball rolling, and then late game when you get better stuff, you can just have it become the better stuff
2: (laughs) yeah and when there are a lot of uh, enchantment creatures rolling around it can also just be a creature in a pinch if you need to which is ridiculous plus there's this crazy keyword called constellation that cares about enchantments entering the battlefield every turn even if you're just recopying the same thing over and over again you're getting constellation triggers which I don't think I can stress how powerful that mechanic is when it's free
1: yeah it's quite good yeah I think this is um, I think it goes in a lot more decks than it should be, Ran, and I'm actually okay with people not playing this card as much because I hate it. <laughs> uh, I put it in I put it in decks that it doesn't belong in.
0: That's for sure.
1: Oh yeah, it's super good like you'll always get something to copy.
0: Alright guys, the next cycle we've got are the mixed legends. So we've got Varchild, Betrayer of Keldor, Eureko the Tiger, Shadow. Zancha, Sleeper Agent, and my boy, Smithy's The Slumbering Isle. First one we've got is Varchild, Betrayer of Keldor, two in a red for a 3 3 legendary creature human knight. Whenever Varchild, Betrayer of Keldor, deals combat damage to a player, that player creates that many 1 1 red survivor creature tokens. Survivors your opponents control can't block, and they can't attack you or a planeswalker you control. When Varchild leaves the battlefield, gain control <laughs> of all survivors. What a what a weird fucking card, you guys.
1: Yeah, so this is actually a card that was, or, th- alluded to, forever ago. I think I think it was Ice Age because there's a there's one card that makes survivor tokens, and it's a cumulative upkeep, and so it keeps making survivor tokens. But the the problem is it puts survivor tokens on your opponent's field, so that card was just a, a weird weird. Old ass card that nobody ever played, and this is actually like some lore tying into that. That actually also gets way better if you play that old ass card. <laughs>
2: yeah, but it's it's a weird card. Like it doesn't belong basically any deck ever. This
1: is this is we're coming into the uh, just a stream of cards where they're just kind of like one off. They seem like throwaway cards because a lot of them aren't very interesting build arounds, or they're really hard to build around. And obviously there's some yeah. notable exceptions, but a lot of the cycle, they're kind of, in my opinion, just, just sort of filler cards for this
2: command yeah. set. And they actually take out card slots because there are other cards that interact with these cards. Specifically, so the next one, uh, Yuriko, the Tiger's Shadow. So the summary of this card is that she's Ninjitchu that causes Reverse Bob. So Bob is Dark Confidant. So that's like the colloquial name for Dark Confidant, where beginning of your turn, you Get the card from top of your deck and you lose life equal to that card's converted mana cost. Uh, Yuriko uh, has whenever a ninja you control deals combat damage to a player, reveal top card for library and put that card into your hand, each opponent loses life equal to that card's converted mana cost. So that's the reverse bob effect. But she also has commander ninjutsu for blue and black. So if one of your creatures is un- unblocked, Yuriko comes in and just pokes him for one and also gets you that reverse bob effect.
1: Yeah, I hate playing against Eriko decks because of Commander Ninja too. Because you can't like killing her doesn't do anything because she'll always come back for just two mana, and they always stack the deck with extra turn spells and Eldrazi, so you are taking ten damage at any time they attack, and also just it's, a ridiculous and, amount of yeah. And it's whenever value. a ninja you controls deals damage, so if they have cards that change creature type like Conspiracy and stuff, anytime something does damage, they're flipping over five cards and you are taking twenty five damage easy.
2: Yeah, Yuriko used to be kind of hard to evaluate, but she just started getting better and better, yeah. uh, especially with uh, Modern Masters, or sorry.
1: Modern Horizons. Especially with
2: Modern Horizons coming out. Um, they, there's a couple ninjas in the deck, maybe two other ones, that are literally just tied in with Yuriko. They're not great in conjunction with the rest of the commanders. But because Yuriko does care about what's on top of your deck, Amanatu does play into that effect. Yeah. And so, it's not like she's really like a wasted slot because there is that effect, but it's just, I don't know, man. Ninjas is not what I'm thinking when I'm no, playing It's a top it's deck so manipulation. Weird.
1: So the next one we have is Zancha Sleeper Agent. It She's won a black and a red for a 5-5 legendary creature minion. As Zancha Sleeper Agent enters the battlefield, an opponent of your choice gains control of it. Zancha attacks each combat if able and can't attack its owner or planeswalker its owner's controls. And then you can Anybody can pay three. Zanca's controller loses two life, and you may and you draw a card. Any player may activate this ability. So she comes in for cheap. She's big, big girl. She starts swinging, but interestingly, she comes in on somebody else's field and starts just attacking everybody else. And then whoever has Zancha just kind of becomes an incidental target because people will pay the mana to draw cards, which hurts the person. That's swinging with Zantia, and it's it's a very very political card.
2: All right, Gary, uh you say your boy. I don't know. I don't know how how much we've talked about the Rick Smithies on the show, but this seems to be one of your favorite cards at the moment.
0: <laughs> he's just so dope. I like uh, first and foremost that he's a Kraken. Uh, mostly just because I'm um, that type of guy. I'm a seafaring pirate <laughs> type of guy. But uh, no, what really, really attracted me to Arixmithy's Slumbering Isle is he is two green blue for a 1212 legendary creature Kraken. <laughs> so he's one of those thing in the ice type cards, very, very under costed, but with the stipulation that he enters the battlefield tapped with five slumber counters. On it, and it says as long as Eriksmithes has a slumber counter on it, it's a land. But wait, whenever you more. Ca- but yeah, but wait, uh, whenever you cast a spell, you may remove a slumber counter from Eriksmithes, and you can tap him to add a green and a blue. So he's uh, a double mana land. So he's getting you two mana. He's in the nice sweet spot of colors where you're just slinging spells and ramping out big fatties. I think he's just real cool. He's also in those colors where you're doing tappy, untappy type of things and creating mana. Uh, yeah, I really like this guy.
2: So the net cost on Eryximethys because he comes down is immediately a land that you can tap for two colors is potentially, if you can untap him, of course, like net cost of two colorless mana. Right. Or a 12-12. <laughs> well, I mean, the 12-12 is whatever. Twelve like, 12 land. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like a twelve twelve 12 that's pretty hard to interact with For a while, like I, I think my favorite thing that I've seen with the Rick Smithies is somebody played him. He was a land. Somebody went to untap them, and for whatever reason, somebody had instant speed land removal, and he just (laughs) fucking destroyed it. I was like, dude, I fucking died. I was laughing so hard at that one. I was just like, (laughs) damn, that's so savage. (laughs) All right, so the next cycle we have is the Commander Storm cycle. So each of these has the storm, quote unquote, storm effect. um, that cares about your how many times you've cast your commander in the game. Um, spoiler alert: garbage. <laughs> they're rough. To, they're rough to play around because you don't want to cast your commander a bunch of times to get this effect. So first one is Imperial Storm. Uh, it gets the angels, which which is cool, Yay. right? Four four angel for six mana seems like a lot. Two of them for six mana is decent. Three is probably about where you want to be. I think on all of these you want at least three.
1: Yeah, which like, Do you want to cast your cast your mana? Casting or, your commander is probably going to be between 8 and 12 mana if you have a reasonably costed commander.
2: Yeah, like that's it's so much. And then you also have to have your commander get removed, which you're playing commander. You're building your deck around your commander. This is not what you want. I, did, I, I, hate, I hate this
1: cycle. Yeah, and there um, might actually, be times when you get this card before you even cast your commander once, oh. and so it's just a dead card. So the next one we have is Echo Storm, which has the same clause where it counts the number of times you cast your commander. And then it just says, create a token that's a copy of target artifact. Potentially powerful, but potentially does nothing.
2: Uh, For like five mana, not great. Uh, Next one is Skull Storm. It's the black one that was in the Esper
0: deck. This one is too high costed, but it's the (laughs) only one that's got a cool effect so far. Seven black black for a sorcery. When you cast a spell, copy it for each time you've cast your commander. Each opponent sacrifices a creature. Each opponent who can't loses half their life rounded up. So the next one is
2: Fury Storm, uh, two red, red. And it is an instant which is dope. Copy target instant or sorcery spell. You may choose new targets for the copy. Um, four mana for a 4 like effect is fine. Um, copying it would be great, assuming that you're able to do so. I think this one, reasonably speaking, for four mana, getting two copies of this one, just casting your commander once, is all right. I think that you want to get more out of it, obviously, like the rest of them. But for four mana, you're probably pretty happy with, like, forking twice.
1: Yeah, I think that's. I think this is a, one of the most playable ones. Just because it's... Yeah, easy. I think it, it is the most playable one. Because you can use it on other people's stuff. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and the
2: last one is Genesis Storm.
1: This one's four green green for sorcery. Reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a non-land permanent card. You may put that card onto the battlefield. Then put all cards revealed this way that weren't put onto the battlefield on the bottom of your library in a random order. So I think... This one
0: ha- I think could be really good, but for six, man, for the, stipulation, the first time, yeah. The next ones up we've got are the Loyal Lieutenants. We've got Loyal Unicorn, Loyal Drake, Loyal Subordinate, Loyal Apprentice, and Loyal Guardian.
2: Yeah, so they all have the Lieutenant ability, which just cares about having your commander out. And then each one of them has a specific effect for you. So Unicorn, uh, if you have your commander out, Uh, Prevent all combat damage that would be dealt to creatures you control this turn and other creatures you control gain vigilance until end of turn. Uh, Honestly, pretty solid effect. Um, The Loyal Drake, less so. Pretty sure the Loyal Drake is just, if you control your commander at the beginning of your combat step, draw a card.
1: Yeah, that's exactly
2: what it reads. Uh, Loyal Subordinate, again, lackluster at the beginning of combat on your turn. If you control your commander, each opponent loses 3 life. Granted, for 3 mana, it's fine, but it's also a 3-1, which sucks. Yeah. I think that's like the worst power toughness that you can have. Uh, Loyal Apprentice is uh, the red one. Uh, at the beginning of combat on your turn, if you control a commander, create a 1 1 color stop the creature artifact token for flying, and that one also gains haste. So, like free artifact generation, you don't have to attack with it, you just get it on your uh, beginning of combat. That's all right. And then Loyal Guardian, uh, this one can also be super, super powerful. Um, it is 5 mana, though, a green. And as being of combat in your turn of you control, your commander put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control.
1: Yep, and you're in green, so you want to abuse counters anyways. So, I, I doubling season, boom, you're chilling.
2: I mean, you don't even have to have doubling season. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so, that's the last of the true cycles that we have. Um, we've also got the super cycle that we've been talking about through the commander series. Uh, this one is Magus of the Balance. Um, so, it's the creature version of Balance, which is notably a banned card in Commander. So, if you're not familiar with balance, Magus of the Balance is one and a white. For Creature, Human Wizard, it's a 2-2, two, two, and has the activated ability for a four and a white. Tap, sacrifice Magus of the Balance. Each player chooses a number of lands they control equal to the number of lands controlled by the player who controls the fewest, then sacrifices the rest. Players discard cards and sacrifices creatures the same way. So, cheap to throw down, higher mana cost to actually activate to get that ability. It's kind of how they made balance more fair in commander but this card is a backbreaker
0: I love how balance is just it's its good based solely on the assumption that the person playing the white deck is always gonna be the shittiest player
1: yeah this
2: is and well, have the but that's the reason why it's in That why balance was made as
1: a white card yeah the, the only way to help white is to make everything <laughs> else suck
2: <laughs> alright so that's it for the cycles here there's not really a boogeyman of this cycle that people are chasing after so let's actually get into the beer reviews. Um, I think I'm just going to start it off here with the Samuel Adams Cold Snap. It is a white ale with spices. And it tastes like a light, malty, slightly bitter beer with spices. Which ones? I couldn't really name. Probably some nutmeg, cardamom, uh, maybe like a little cinnamon. It's, it's a winter, winter ale. Um, it's fine. It's not at all what I would ever want on a winter's day. Uh, so I don't know why it's a, a winter beer. Maybe like more like a, a Thanksgiving, not so much like winter. I want some darker shit for that.
0: Yeah. It's not super uh, pumpkin spicy, holiday spicy to me. Like when I first drank it, I thought it kind of, it was almost spicy in a way. And then when I looked up the description online, it showed that there's like white peppercorns. And so there's like sort of a, an array of spices that are more like in line with maybe Hearty spices. But there's definitely that kind of classic, you know, malt and, and sugary spiced stuff. So there's probably cinnamon and shit like that in there too. To me it was just clean. It was just real Yeah. Clean. It's super simple.
1: Corey, what was your take on it? Um I thought it was it was super, super sweet and I really liked it. But like both of you guys said, it was really crisp and smooth and it was a lot more malty than I thought it was gonna be. I didn't get yeah. like any spice characteristics so maybe my palate was just fucked but I like I was <laughs> maybe kind of hoping that there was going to be some time, holiday so. spice yeah. characteristics but I really didn't get any of that so it was just a really really good solid malty beer for me and I, I really liked it Garrett, <laughs> I do want to talk about the uh Cigar City Maduro next so- if
0: you yeah, would. real quick, I want to talk about the can. It literally is decorated like a cigar. Yeah. I didn't notice that until <laughs> yeah. uh, I was after uh, after I was drinking it. Also, you um, should scroll down
2: to the bottom of the page after you do your own like description of it.
0: The bottom of the page
2: after what? you do your description of it. Go ahead and
0: do your okay. description. Of it. So, to me, it's just nuts. You know what I mean? And not even just nuts, but like nut husks. Like when you're, <laughs> <laughs> when you're at your grandma's house and she's got a nutcracker and a bag of mixed nuts. You know what I mean? Like there's that aftertaste that you get after eating multiple different kinds of nuts. It's just dry and malty and nutty. And to be honest, it's not like a refreshing beer in the way that most beers are, but it's super good. But it, it has a weird lingering aftertaste. It doesn't taste bitter. It doesn't taste malty. It just is like dry.
1: Uh, Corey, what about you? What was your take on it? So I didn't really get a lot of nuttiness. I got a lot of coffee notes Same. and chocolate notes. And Same. whoa. There was it was very, very malt forward, which I, I really like. Agree with that. It was super smooth. I didn't really I got some notes of alcohol throughout it, but it yep. was just sort of very, very on the back end. But overall it was just a really smooth, dark, chocolatey sort of malty bitter kind of beer
2: yeah mine uh, I just said smell malt extract sweet slightly alcoholic kind of earthy uh, first taste it was malty and chocolatey um, then again that kind of earthy bitterness uh, that's kind of what Corey's talked about there it kind of had that uh, sweet cigar taste uh, like if you have experience with, with cigars there's some of them that are just a bit sweeter that kind of like linger on the tongue that's kind of what it tasted like to me but when I came back to it Later on, uh, after like 20 minutes or so, just kind of hanging out, the chocolate notes kind of went away, and it was mostly just like that that malt extract sweetness. All right, Corey, we've got quite the treat there for you with the Melvin Mind Bloom. What you got
1: for us? So this one right away is one of the better hazy IPAs that I've had. It's just it's right away it's just citrus notes, and then it's just into the straight into the hops, all the bitterness that they carry with them, which i definitely grown to love, but if you don't like hops, this is definitely not for you because it's just got that lingering malt or that lingering hop taste that you would expect in an IPA. And it's, it's balanced really well with the, all the citrus right at the beginning. See,
2: I find that also really interesting that that's like your interpretation of the, the flavors because for me, I didn't have that like harsh bitterness. It was very like light and it wasn't really so much citrusy. So it was more like tropical. Like Hell yeah, that's me too. Yeah, because like when I was tasting it, uh, first off, I like barely cracked the can and immediately, like I was like, oh lord, this is gonna be a good one. <laughs> like it was just so good, um, like on point. I was just like, this one is definitely gonna be a winner every damn time. Um, first taste, I was like, this is a summer beer. This is what I want oh, yeah. on tap for the summer all summer long like i haven't been super big into ipas as we've talked about several times but like these types of ipas really get me more into that style of beer
0: to me like same as you drew when i first took my first sip i was like there's no hops in this at all this is super mild i'm tasting fruit what is this fruit and i probably sipped it four or five times going i can't pick out the fruit and then finally it came to me mango I was like oh shit yeah that's what that is it's mango and then it first of all it looked like orange juice it's just a nice dark kind of orange color yeah. it had a big fat thick head on it And I don't know, to me, it was like, maybe it was because I just ate or whatever, but to me, it was not at all bitter. It was just flavorful and sweet and juicy and fresh. And then it finished up, like after I had been drinking on it for about an hour, then it finished up with some of those hops and that bitter, but it wasn't like so much that it was like, God damn, I can't not taste it, you know?
2: Yeah. It kind of finished like a, to me, it was like a a green mango where it had a little bit of that kind of like vegetal bitterness more than actual hop bitterness. All right. Let's finish up this episode we're just going to talk about the important mentions Uh, just some general goodies we've got Forge of Heroes uh, which is a commander specific card there's about uh, what the number of times you cast your commander you get a plus and plus one counter on it if it's a creature or uh, an additional loyalty counter on it if it's uh, a planeswalker very very strong
0: Watsi if you're listening stop doing that (laughs) stop doing the you know times you cast your commander I don't like yeah, that.
1: I think they figured that out. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, up next, we've got Geode Golem. It's five mana for a five-three, and he's got Trample. Whenever he deals combat damage to a player, he may cast your commander from the command zone without paying its mana cost. Now, see, that's the kind of commander text I'm a big fan of. Yeah, this. Yeah, I like that a is lot. Insane.
1: That card is.
2: That card might be one of the best ones in the set.
0: Uh, and I, I really like that he's really, really strong, colorless, so he can slot into whatever you're doing. And he's a commander-specific card, so you can drop a big-ass, cheap cheaper bomb like this and not affect all of Magic. Just really hone in on those commander decks that need it. You know.
2: Yeah. Uh, next one I want to list is Endless Atlas. So this is
1: ahead. the Endless Atlas is a two-drop artifact with the ability: you pay two and tap it and draw a card. Activate this ability only if you control three or more lands with the same name. Uh, of course. So this is one of their very first steps in helping mono white and mono red card draw. Because there's not much else. Yeah. Uh,
2: so for the artifacts decks, we have Blasphemous Act, which is oh, one of my favorite board wipes in general. Um, for some reason, I love red board wipes, even though they're generally not great. Um, this one... Costs like 13 mana, but its cost is reduced for every creature on the battlefield and does 13 damage to everything. So it's relatively cheap for a pretty solid board wipe. Uh, next one we have is Mimic Fat, which is just an artifact staple always.
0: Yeah, another one we got on this list is Mirror Works. Basically, you can pay two anytime a non token artifact creature enters the battlefield. And if you do, you create a copy of that artifact. So just giving you some ways to double up on your little tokens. Yeah, and then we've got Retrofitter Foundry, which is it's a very
1: weird card because you basically it upgrades your tokens over time, and so you sacrifice a token and make a better token. It's kind of really slow and not very good, though. Uh,
2: we've also got Unwinding Clock, which is a solid include.
1: Yeah, it just basically Seaborn uses your artifacts on other people's turns. And then there's Soul of New Phyrexia, which makes all your permanents indestructible. It's 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 very, very hard to beat. Yeah, true, true. We also have Sharding Sphinx,
2: um, which is a, it's just a rough, rough name for a <laughs> <Yeah>. card. <laughs> I
1: think it was good
2: back in the day, but nowadays... <laughs> yeah, now, like... Uh, I mean, just get it like uh, some pepto or something, you know? uh, So whenever an artifact creature you control does combat damage to a player, you may create a 1-1 blue thump to target artifact creature token with flying. So it's really awesome that... It itself is an artifact creature to get the ball rolling, then you're creating more thopters that are also attacking, that are doing damage, that duplicate because it's not non token artifact creatures, it's just artifact creature tokens. And uh, with that, we also have uh, Coveted Jewel, which to me is <laughs> uh, I just said that it's what the Sphinx, the Sharding Sphinx left behind because it's garbage. Uh, when Coveted Jewel enters the battlefield, draw three cards. Seems cool. It's also six mana and Add three mana of any one color to man mana pool. Uh, solid. And last but not least, or actually absolutely least, whenever one or more creatures an opponent controls attacks you and aren't blocked, that player draws these cards and gains control of Coveted Jewel. Untap it. So they don't even have to deal damage. They just get the artifact.
0: Uh, another card I like, not colorless. We talked about it before. If it made the cut, Treasure Nabber. Two in a red. Whenever an opponent taps an artifact for mana, gain control of that artifact until your next turn. So basically, you just turn everybody's mana rocks into your mana rocks.
1: Yeah, there's been a lot of times where it's, somebody has a uh, treasure nabber out, and people just don't tap their soul ring. It's like, nah, I'm, I'm good. Which, it, which is just about exactly as good. Yeah. yeah. Next one we have is Enchanters Bane. It's one in a red for an enchantment. Fuck this card. At the beginning of your end step, target enchantment deals damage equal to its converted mana cost to its controller unless that player sacrifices. This is as close as we as we've gotten to mono red enchantment destruction.
0: (laughs) And it most of the time it Not quite enchantment destruction, but potentially player destruction of those who control enchantments. Slowly.
1: Very,
2: very (laughs) slowly. This card is very amusing to me in that it is an enchantment in red. To fuck on enchantments, but it's like it's treading the the holy line that red is not allowed. Yeah, to interact with enchantments.
1: I respect it, but God, just come on, because like, just you pl- no. you play this and then you target somebody's Vistic study. They're never gonna sacrifice it. They'll play three life. Like it does, it will never do anything.
2: Yeah, you have to put it like not on their most important piece, but just the thing that's gonna deal the most damage to them to make them actually have to. Do something with it but even then it's just like yeah I guess I'll sacrifice this like 8 mana enchantment because I want something that's you know a bit better anyways yeah
1: it's just it's not impactful enough
2: just because it only does one thing yeah um, as per top deck got some nice nice mentions here we've got Moldrifter uh,
0: cutest fish
2: yeah isolated watchtower I believe the, the new one but again it helps you just manipulate your top deck as a land which is dope uh, we've got Dusk Mantle Seer, which is just Party Bob. Everyone gets to look at the top card. Everyone gets to take damage, then put that card in the hand. Uh, party Bob likes to party. I don't think there's you know anything more you need to say about that. Corey, you want to just... Whoosh,
1: miracles? So the next cycle we have are Miracles, which in the <laughs> top deck manipulation deck you'd think would be some of the most powerful cards you could print in that one. But unfortunately, they only printed one new Miracle, and that's Entreat the Dead, which is basically just mass reanimation. Um, some other notable miracle cards are Entreat the Angels, which makes angel tokens, Devastation Tide, which is just a, a board wipe, and then Banishing Stroke, which is just a return to dust.
2: Then um, they have a fun one, uh, Primordial Mist. You manifest top card of your library uh, each turn, um, and that just gives you this 2-2 creature, but it has an activated ability to exile a face-down card you control, and you may cast that card. Um, so basically just gives you an extra card, You're allowed to look at that manifested card anyways. So it just has that really nice extra effect that you get to uh, not waste that card. Because manifest normally you're only able to flip up if it's a creature, yeah. you pay that creature's uh, uh, just like normal converted mana cost. So I think that Promotum is, is a dope new card that we really like. Um, we also have Mortuary Mire, which is just another card to help influence your top deck. You can just put a thing when it enters the battlefield, you put a creature card on top of your library. And so. You care about the top of your library anyways. It's also nice to just give back a
1: creature if you really need it. Yeah, then we have Knight Incarnate, which is four and a swamp for a 3-4 Death Touch. And then it's got Evoke for three and a black. And when it leaves the battlefield, all creatures get minus three, minus three until end of turn. So it's kind of like a mini board wipe.
2: Yeah, this one's dope. First Evoke card we've had. Like the first new Evoke card we've had for a while. Um, the next kind of group that we have with the top deck is just the Top Deck manips. Uh, which is the top deck manipulations. (laughs) So we've got Telling Time, Brainstorm, and then the three Ps, we've got Portent, Ponder, and Predict. Uh, They all care about top deck drawing cards, stuff like that. Uh, And the card that I found was amusing that it's not great in this deck, but it sure is good in other decks. Um, It's Treasure Hunt.
1: It's one and a blue for a sorcerer. Reveal cards from the top of your library until, until you reveal a non-land card. Then put all cards revealed this way into your hand. All right, so first one we're actually going to read out here is just Blood Tracker.
2: Three and a black for creature, vampire, wizard for two, two. has flying. Black, pay two life, put a plus one, plus one counter on Blood Tracker. Decent ability in and of itself. Uh, and when Blood Tracker leaves the battlefield, draw a card for each plus one, plus one counter on it. So it's that last ability that we really care about. Uh, plus one, plus one counters are super easy to manipulate. We've talked about... Dozens of times at this point, how you can do that, having the ability to have a creature like that that you cash in later, or you know an opponent does for you, and you just get a bunch of uh, cards off of it. Super, super good.
1: Yeah. The next one we have is Crash of Rhino Beetles, which is four in a green for a five-five creature insect with Trample, and it gets a plus ten plus ten as long as you troll ten or more lands. <laughs> no big deal. Seems yeah. decent. A fifteen, uh, fifteen for for yeah, five. Right.
2: Uh, Web Tongue Hydra for five and a green. It's creature Lizard Hydra, super dope, uh, for four four reach. When it enters the battlefield, destroy all creatures with flying and put a plus one plus one counter on Web Tongue Hydra for each creature destroyed this way. Uh, Hydras are good.
1: Yeah, this is like a weird one-sided anti-flying board wipe. And the last card we have for the Jund deck here, Corey. It's Reality Scramble. So it's two red red for a sorcery, Put target permanent you own on the bottom of your library. Reveal cards on the top of your library until you reveal a card that shares a card type with that permanent. Put that card onto the battlefield and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. It also has a retrace. You may cast this card from your graveyard by discarding a land card in addition to paying its other costs. So you can potentially do this a bunch of times. And this works on tokens. So you just pitch a token, cheat out a blightsteel colossus or something stupid. I think it's a really cool card. Doesn't see enough play. Yeah, um,
2: next deck here, last deck is the Enchantments deck. Crewfix's Insight, look at the top six, put up to three enchantment cards into your hand. Uh, it's only three mana, so it's basically three mana draw three in the enchantment deck. Herald of the Pantheon reduces the mana cost of your enchantments. Uh, Aura Gnarled, Um for Voltron decks, you need something to pilot the mech. Aura Narlid is one of those creatures for early game. Um, Bruna Light of Alabaster when things in the mech need to change. Get rid of the little aura uh, Gnarled guy and put in Bruna um, which changes the battlefield. You can or attacks, uh, you can just put all of the auras onto her. Yeah, Bruna's scary. Uh, <laughs> uh, Creeping Renaissance is dope. Uh, it is a uh, board wipe recovery card. Um, three green green for sorcery. Choose a permanent type. Return all cards of the chosen type from your graveyard to your hand. It also has flashback for five green green. So obviously you're choosing enchantments in this deck. Um, That's just how that one's going to go. Heavenly Blademaster is another one that, kind of like Bruna, um, it is trying to get all of the auras and equipment that you control onto it when it enters the battlefield, and that allows you to, with this case anyways, buff other creatures uh, for each one equipment attached to Heavenly Blademaster. Flying and Double Strike, that's just a good creature to have all of your auras on in the first place. This card is meant to kill people. Um, The, I think... Best but not best uh new card that we've got is Octopus Umbra. Uh the Umbra cycle is a lot of a lot of good enchantments because they have totem armor, which if enchanted creature would be destroyed instead remove all damage from it and destroy this aura. So totem aura, super dope. This one is an enchantment for three this one is an enchantment for three blue blue enchant creature. Enchanted creature has base power and toughness eight eight and has whenever this creature attacks, you may tap target creature with power 8 or less. So one of the issues that people have with uh, Voltron-style decks is that you're usually suiting up a small creature or you have to wait till your commander's out before you start suiting things up. This one gives that base power and toughness boost to the creature instead of just pumping it in general. Uh, ravenous Slime is super, super dope. It's a grave hate card. Uh, Navia's Colossus is a constellation that allows you to double power and toughness uh, of... Whatever target creature you want, which means that anytime you're drum- dumping and in, you're basically trying to set up a one punch, um, which is super yeah. dope. Myth
1: Unbound. I've been killed by Nalius claws. that's way too many times.
2: Yeah, it's like seven mana, but it's worth. Uh, Myth Unbound uh, isn't the best because, like we keep saying, we don't want to cast our commander multiple times, uh, but whenever your commander is put into a command zone from anywhere, you get a draw card, and your commander costs one less for each time you've cast it. So basically having your commander attacks. Super, super dope. It's kind of mediocre in general because you don't want that effect to really yeah. be impactful, but when it is, it is going to be very, very helpful. Uh, and we've got the Enchantress cards. Enchantress Presence and Idleon of Blossoms. Idleon of Blossoms it is the Constellation version. Enchantress Presence, just whenever you cast an Enchantment, you get to draw a card. That's the quick wrap-up of the Bant Enchantments um, deck performances.
1: Uh, have you guys actually played these decks? Yes, I have. And they are so goddamn slow. Yeah, (laughs) yeah,
2: especially if you're using the Planeswalkers. Uh, All right, let's talk about the artifacts next. Exquisite
1: Invention. Corey. So this one, it's on the faster side just because it cares about artifacts and cheating costs, so you can get the ball rolling super fast. But it's really hard to recover from a board wipe once you go in because... Yeah, that's for damn sure. If all your artifacts are done, then you're kind of done, so you kind of have to rebuild and rebuild and rebuild. So it's just artifact problems.
2: Yep. Uh, what about subjective reality? The top deck, Esper deck. So this, do you have any experience with that one? I've
1: I played against this one, and the it's scary because you really don't know what they're doing. But the precon yeah. isn't that powerful. Like Amanatu's is super dope, but the stock deck there they wasn't limited the actual going yeah. on because it was kind of the most unfocused deck. But yeah, I
2: will say when you play this deck, you feel powerful because you are like. Setting up your turns and just like oh man this is exactly how I planned it like literally last turn but yeah you know it is what I wanted to yeah. do yeah uh, the land deck
1: land deck so I've played against souped up uh, wind grace decks and they will fuck you up <laughs> because they run a lot of land destruction because they can easily recover from them and they run a lot of uh, board wipes especially the non land permanent board wipes because a lot of those. Especially the older board wipes don't target planeswalkers, and so they clear everyone else's boards, yep. but you still have Windgrace to keep you in the loop and keep getting you lands and drawing
0: cards. And so they're pretty disgusting.
2: Darian,
1: what was your take?
0: Yeah, I think it's the same thing as Aminachi, yeah. though. The, the stock deck isn't awesome, it's not terrible, but it's not great. But it just has that potential to be upgraded and beat face.
2: Yeah, that's kind of how the Adaptive Enchantments deck is the Bant Enchantment deck list. It's not Enchantress. Which is what we want it to be, just because that card draw engine is so real in enchantures. But it suffers very much from the same flaws as what the artifact deck does. If you get blown up, you you basically sit out the rest yeah, of the it's game. So like, hard to come back. You can't recover as well in enchantments, I feel, as you can in artifacts. Because artifacts, like in and of themselves, have like a lot of ramp synergies and stuff like that. Whereas the artifacts, like man, it's it's rough. Uh, I think that the stock deck itself synergizes pretty well, but it's really trying to split. The board on what it wants to do Um, has some of the Enchantress' ideas with way too much Voltron shit. That's just like very low power. Yeah. Um, Let's step back to 2014, uh, and if we can do a quick comparison, these Planeswalkers versus the old Planeswalkers. Are they more powerful? Less powerful? Better. What do you mean better?
0: Much better. They got more colors, uh, so you can actually do shit with them, which is important.
1: Corey, I think. They are better, like Aaron was saying, but I think they're less focused just because in the 2014 decks, they were just sort of, this is what green is going to do. This is the green deck. While if yeah. you just look at the Esper deck, like there's wildly different abilities. And I think the Planeswalker commanders, they range from how viable they are, which I think could be a good thing because it allows for different play styles. But I, I think... The the ceiling is a lot higher, but the floor is a lot lower too.
2: Yeah, I think that they're better as commanders strictly because they're more colors. I think that they're worse in every other yeah. aspect, like the actual abilities. I, I guess good old Ob and Nahiri were yeah they were all right. <laughs> they're but, down there, <laughs> but like the other three are like solid. Are going to continue to be played. I don't really see much play of these planeswalkers in the ninety nine, but I see the other planeswalkers from 2014 in the 99 all the time.
1: Yeah, I've seen the only deck that I usually see is the Windgrace as the pilot. And then every once yeah. in a while, an Amanatu pops up in like a five-color deck just because she's weird and lets you draw cards. But I've never seen an Estrid yeah. or a Saheeli. Yeah, out in the wild, they just don't yeah. exist, right? There's there's just much better options.
0: I wanted to give a, a little note towards the upcoming... Commander sets because we are almost finished and up to date on these commander sets. We've got a Coria in the works, and as of the recording of this episode, and definitely by the release of this episode, we've got tons of spoilers. So, we're going to be getting a Coria to you guys as soon as yeah, possible. But should be obviously, expect us to be caught up by then because we did get that month delay in the release, at least here in the US, for a Coria to but be coming all spoilers out. spoilers
2: will be out. Um, we'll have that episode Actually sure. it'll be our next episode We'll do a we'll talk about spoilers um, Just do like a, a set review for I think just the general set And then we'll go into more specifics There's so many legendary creatures to talk about So we may actually have just a, uh, An episode on that uh, Obviously we're going to be talking about the Commander 2020 set um, Starting with the Aquaria decks Because I guess Commander 2020 just Is going to exist throughout the whole year However they're going to split that up So we've got a lot of Akori content that we're working on, and so look forward to that next.
0: All right, guys. Thank you guys for tuning in. This has been – it's a wild journey for us to go through all these Commander decks. We're not quite finished, but we're getting there. And, of
2: course, we do want to make sure you guys check out the survey. It is in the podcast show notes on Untap, Upkeep, Drink, or at UUD Podcast. We're on all the socials, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Is YouTube a social, I guess?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's
2: a media.
0: Yeah. You can make comments. You can make comments. <laughs> Very good. All right. So we'll see you guys next time. Uh, where we're actually going to be talking about Ikoria. As we like to say on this podcast, you guys. Have fun. And wash your hands and your ass.